Hi, kids. Let's learn about words. You keep using the word. I do not think it means what you think it means. What does it all mean, Basil? At last, we're going to have a dialogue about the power of words. Discussion of a language. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I learned that you should choose your words carefully. That's what counts. Far, far more complex. Well, by God, I got a couple of words for you. The quality of your words. We all know where to find the meaning of a word. A dictionary. The consummate repository of cut and dry definitions for all, quote, certified words. The truth is, however, that most words can hold many meanings, depending on situation, culture, generation, and perspective. Don't tell me words don't matter. Because our words have creative power. On Open to Interpretation, host Amy Young is joined by PLU faculty and educators from different academic disciplines to consider a single word commonly used in the news, on social media, and on college campuses. What did you say? Whatever I feel like I want to say. Sometimes for a moment I can't say anything. Through debate and dialogue, Open to Interpretation reminds us that rarely, if ever, can a word's meaning be reduced to a single understanding. It ain't the word! It's the context in which the word is set. To get a great job in this economy, you need to have strong language. Well, I think that's a super philosophy, Sean. And now, here's Dr. Amy Young. Welcome to another edition of Open to Interpretation. I'm Amy Young. I'm an associate professor of communication. With me tonight are Angie Hambrick, Assistant Vice President of Diversity, Justice, and Sustainability, and Tom Kreiss, President and Professor of English at Pacific Lutheran University. Welcome. Thank hey. You. The format of this is that we start out with some warm-up questions to loosen up, and then we get into hard stuff after that. So I will ask you these questions, and we'll see what we have going. Favorite all-time Saturday Night Live cast member or Saturday Night Live skit? Angie? It would have to be Eddie Murphy as James Brown. The hot tub. The hot tub party. The hot tub party. I mean, that it shows that Eddie can not only sing, but he does the best James Brown that I've ever seen. It really is a remarkable thing. And his, like, gold lame bathing suit. That's magic. Uh-huh. Yeah. When uh, he reveals that, that's That is a moment. Done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a moment. <laughs> Tom? So I would have to say uh, any one of Wayne's worlds. Um, oh, yeah. Wayne's world um, would probably have to be, as a set, would be a favorite. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay, best or most ridiculous bit of advice, solicited or unsolicited, you've ever been given by a PLU student? Tom? <laughs> well, I've had a lot of advice to, uh, to work on the um, uh, improvement of our fitness facility, so we're busy working on options for that. So ah, that's pretty good advice. So I guess a... advice that leads to action is uh, probably pretty good. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Miss Angie. Yeah, mine's not going to be as profound. So That's okay. Okay. So my <laughs> students affectionately call my hair crooked because one side is long and the other side is like shaved to my scalp almost. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned to them that I was thinking about like getting rid of the crooked haircut. And it was like I told them that I was leaving the university and I was never coming back. It was just outrage that Angie would get rid of the crooked cut. You can't. You can't I do can, it. I can't. Well, they say I can't, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The cricket cut is very Angie, but I mean, there comes a time where we're going to have to retire it. I gotcha. Yeah. I like it. I, I, I think I, you should continue to rock I mean, it as long so as you. Me, though. Yeah. I know. It it's is. It's like a trademark. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it helps you see your glasses and everything, which is cool. Which I fly. They're to- uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What city haven't you visited that you would most like to and why? Angie. I've never been to New York and New York State, New York City, and I am really intrigued by Harlem. And I would love to go and check out the history of Harlem, the architecture of Harlem, and just to be in a community that is just so steeped in history of Black folks, where the Harlem Renaissance was, the music, the food, the literature. I would just love to be in an environment like that, that I've read about. So I would love to go to Harlem. Wow. Mm -hmm. New York is one of those places where I can be for maybe like three days before I'm overwhelmed but I think it's because you need to find your neighborhood, like your enclave. That's, yeah, that's what I've heard. It's yeah. all about where, yeah, where you want to be. Where you are. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. Tom, you've probably been yes. everywhere. Oh, no, no. But I, I, I haven't <laughs> been to, to Jerusalem, and I think that oh. would be a fascinating place to go for loads of levels and reasons. Yeah. And so for the current state of things, as well as its uh, incredible ancient history. And so Jerusalem. Wow. Wow. You are. That's why you're the president, because you kept it all. I kept it all local and you went outside the, the country. Oh, I, I, I love that. An you know, city. that's OK. Let me think of a <laughs> city that I haven't been to. I haven't spent any time really in Memphis. I'd like to go. To oh, Memphis, so, yeah. Memphis is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> So the point of this podcast is that it's called Open to Interpretation because we take a word that tends to show up a lot in popular press or social media or on campus or just in public discourse generally, and we try to take a word that has varied meanings or layers of meaning or meanings that are contestable Mm -hmm. and then talk about that word. So tonight's word is protest. I think in the wake of a lot of protesting that has been going on on college campuses, this is a particularly, and not only on college campuses, but in many cities across the country, this is an important conversation to have. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you being here and willing to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to open with the role of protest. If you had to talk about what is protest for, what would you say? Well, we could start with uh, the uh, the etymology of the word protest and test okay. uh, comes from testis and it means witness. Uh, so it means to to stand and witness for some purpose, some cause. Uh, we have the the um, connotation that it means to object, uh, to resist, and that sort of thing. But I think going to its original definition of meaning that you're standing witness for something, you're standing for something, it uh, gives it a more positive sense than the common connotation of it being objecting to things. It often is an objection, but Mm -hmm. I think it's worth thinking of it as I'm standing for something and I want to bear witness to that. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. We're going to go come back to witnessing. Mm-hmm. Angie? A couple things come to mind for me. The first, I think, is making the invisible visible. Mm-hmm. And whether that's a set of people or a community or an issue, once you are protesting visually, um, not only do you see the individual standing there, but you usually see a sign. So there are multiple ways that a mm-hmm. protest make something and put something out in the open. I like to think that protests have um, at their core a sense of community and solidarity. 
So not only are you showing with your physically your body and with words usually on on a poster that you're in solidarity, but there's also like physical location and touch Mm -hmm. that happens or that can happen in protest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the, the fact that I'm linking arms with someone or I'm holding hands with someone for me shows a sense of I am now connected to you right. on this issue. Um, and so I, I think of those words when I think of protest. And that makes me think of uh, it's almost a liturgical element. It's a, mm. it's a, there's a ritual to it, that mm-hmm. the, the standing mm. and the signs and the, and the speeches that are often made, if we think of it as having a certain importance that's kind of comparable to a ritual, to a religious exercise. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. and theater. And yes, there's, exactly. you know, there's yeah. song oh, yeah. and dance mm-hmm. and there's um, music usually. And so it's almost like this whole production mm-hmm. for cause yeah. um, mm-hmm. that can be a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I mean, the sort of form of it is mm-hmm. uh, in some ways predictable, right? I mean, there's elements of that. And when I think about witnessing, I think about um, it isn't just seeing something, but also having to report something and mm-hmm. do something about it, feeling compelled there's an exigence that you need to do something about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is show up in yeah. many cases yeah. in some sort of community and use your body and other means of communication to do that kind of a protest. Yeah, it's 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 using like all five senses. So uh-huh. it's using your touch, it's using sound with music, it's using my eyes that I can see other people standing with me. Right. It's using my heart as it's touching. It's usually right. a very um, spiritual thing to be on a line with someone. So it uses almost all parts of self mm-hmm. to really engage into it right mm-hmm. that sort of sensory experience Sometimes people bring food and drink too yeah. that's always a plus <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, some coffee that's yeah. right <laughs> or people supply the people protesting yeah, right. with food and drink because yeah. they've been out there oh, for right. forever right. without pizza or whatever <laughs> yeah um have either of you ever been a part of a protest and if so could you describe that experience or was it contentious was it how did it go well last wednesday uh, in front of the uh, Karen Hilly Phillips Center, right after during the uh, the um, was it Wednesday? Friday. Friday. It was Friday <laughs> during the chapel time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was a, um, a, a protest about the uh, situation at the University of Missouri and, mm-hmm. and the reflections of that across the country. So um, that was that was a pretty big showing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was uh, and lots of people. It was during class. People were passing by, and it was interesting standing there watching how people reacted and all the different ways people will react. Yeah, well, Tom mm. took mine, but sorry, um, that's okay. <laughs> um, I think my second or third year here at PLU, I worked with. At that time, it was Harmony, but now it's the Queer Ally Student Union, so the Gay Straight Alliance to mm-hmm. stage sort of a protest in support of gay marriage and er- marriage equality. Mm-hmm. And what we did out on Red Square, right under Eastfold, under the, the Eastfold portico, whatever mm-hmm. it's called. There mm-hmm. it is. Okay. Um, is that we staged, I'm, qu- I'm air quoting, we staged a mm-hmm. marriage between mm-hmm. two women and two men. We did a like a civil marriage kind of ceremony okay. where we talked about these two people are entering into a relationship because they love each other. This is what two people choose to do. Why shouldn't I be able to do this? And so the visual of actually having multiple groups of people who were somewhere in relationships and somewhere they were just students who wanted to be a part of it. But seeing folks of the same sex together saying, I love you. And why can't I legally 
Love right. You was great. And it was all student led and it was a wonderful thing. And I remember a little bit of pushback about us doing that here on campus about, well, you can't call the ceremony a marriage because that's that's not what it is. You can't do certain things or say certain words because we're just not ready to go there yet. Mm. And so like having the conversation with, with students on how far do you push the boundaries mm -hmm. in the protest? How far do you go right. before either your protest helps or advances your cause or mm -hmm. it uh, stops it dead mm -hmm. in its tracks? So that was a great learning experience for me being fresh out of graduate school and really working with student activism um, as a professional and with the students who were a part of that organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about before coming to PLU? Were you ever involved in protests in your days as a student or as a young professional? I think of protests as a strategy in activism. And so my activism doesn't necessarily include protests. Okay. And so activism, there are multiple strategies. So protest and letter writing and boycotting mm -hmm. and, you know, allyship and being in community with people. So there are multiple tactics to being an advocate or an ally or an activist. Mm -hmm. And I found that for me, pro and especially when I was in school, that protest wasn't, wasn't my activism. Mm -hmm. um, and coming to terms, especially now at this time with our students, coming to terms with and, and explaining why protest is one of many things that you can do to engage. But if you choose not to be on, quote unquote, the front line, that's OK. And that doesn't make your activism any less less important or okay. any less powerful. When I was in school, that's just not what I did. Yeah. I just gave um, a little talk to Mike Halverson's class on the, the covering the Cold War mm -hmm. and talking about my own experience as an ICBM launch officer. Mm -hmm. And so in that environment, the, the, you, you, you wouldn't stand out with a sign in front of the uh, <laughs> the building, but I did object uh, right. to some things that went on, and I kept objecting and kept objecting, um, and I raised the questions with the students about when does your obligation to correct a wrong end so if you report it to an authority and you you know or you're pretty confident that the authority will not take an action, right. that it, are you absolved then? Have you done it? You've taken it to the authority or do uh. you continue up, you know, as I did? And so in the end, it, it had, a, had a, a, an effect that I thought was the right one. And it was a very long, stressful thing. And so it was sort of a protest of one in a way, but, but it's right. sort of standing in witness to a principle and insisting on it at some cost to yourself, whether it's mm -hmm. standing in the cold and and uh, being uncomfortable mm -hmm. while you mm -hmm. while you make your protest, or if it's doing something that is uh, risky to you in terms mm -hmm. of your career or something like that. Right. Those are different kinds of protests. And mm -hmm. I think trying to pay attention to what will work <laughs> is helpful, too. So that well, would be a form of protest. Yeah, I'm there. interested. Mm -hmm. What did students say about your responsibility to continue to bear mm -hmm. witness yeah. to something if you are relatively confident that the person that you've spoken to just does not either is heard you maybe but doesn't isn't going to move on it. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we explored it a little bit because there's a there's a problem of if you make the 
the obligation so onerous mm-hmm. that people won't even begin the process. They'll they'll sort of rationalize it. Why bother if I am confident that it won't go? On right. the other hand, if uh, if you keep going, I, I, I'm not sure that you ever know when you've accomplished it. Really, you don't know when to mm-hmm. stop. So I, I left it as sort of uh, something to be puzzled by that individuals will have to decide on their own based on the situation of when your obligation to object to something mm-hmm. is finished. Do you think that protests, the way that we know them and the way that we think about them, are kind of these one-off things and then I'm done? Or do you, does that make sense? Or do, mm-hmm. is protesting every day a protest or is that something else? I'm thinking about, um, I was having this conversation with a student today about the goals of protest. And mm-hmm. he said that to him, protests are almost like these one-off things. You do a protest so that you can gather other people who have some of the same goals that you do to then move to, to do the something next stage other, some something other kind else. of activism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so is that the correct way to think of protest? Is a protest only a way to, to gather the people who are like you to do something else? Or is there, what's, what's the role, what's the place of a protest? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. That is it a good question. It sort of depends on what the issue is. So yeah. sometimes a single protest of, a big sort of demonstration of of feeling can have an effect on changing something. Other times, it's a long campaign. Uh, uh, my own academic interest is the early Caribbean, so the the effort to abolish the slave trade and then to abolish slavery is a big part of of the kinds of things I pay attention to. So, mm-hmm. paying attention to people who spent sometimes their whole lives trying to stop something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a whole campaign there. I think of Martin Luther King um, trying to figure out a way to make the changes. And so then you know, one's life becomes a whole succession of individual protests, but there's a whole mm-hmm. kind of a campaign and a purpose that mm-hmm. that's a, each protest is a small piece of. So It seems like when you, Angie, were talking about how protest is one among a variety of strategies that an mm-hmm. activist mm-hmm. or an acti- or a advocate or an ally, however we'd like to use those words, um, can use to advance some kind of goal or change that, to me, the protests that are most successful are the ones that are connected up in some meaningful way to mm-hmm. a larger strategy and campaign goal, right? Mm-hmm. If it's just you're protesting because... <laughs> I don't know, you're just pissed off about whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's not really, you're not aligning yourself with other people in mm-hmm. an effective way or you're not part of an organization or linking your organization with others that are doing this or, or you know, like Tom said, choosing the right strategy. Is protest even the right strategy in sure. that situation? I mean, maybe the right strategy is a boycott. Maybe the right strategy mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. I don't know, ally ship or something, you know, it's something mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really interesting question because to me also the the idea of making the invisible visible is in part a way of recognizing a moment where right. you can point to something that people showed up to. Right. Mm-hmm. And getting people to show up is significant. Mm-hmm. I mean, physically show up. Mm-hmm. Right. You can all do letter. Right. I mean, there's other things that you can do behind the scenes, but getting people to physically show up is another thing mm-hmm. almost entirely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think about sometimes not, you know, not all protests are angry, but I like thinking about 
that sometimes protest gives people the room and the space to be angry and yes. to say, you know, hell no, we won't mm-hmm. go kind of yeah. kind of thing and to make that anger visible mm-hmm. for the sake of just making it visible. So maybe sometimes a protest, the goal of a protest is just to make anger and lived experiences more visible. And that's OK. Mm-hmm. But like you were saying, Amy, is that enough or does it need to be connected to something else? I don't I don't know yet. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I just wonder if there's a sort of a narrative thread that needs yeah. to kind of run through it or it doesn't make sense in some sort of larger historic mm-hmm. context. Well, sometimes you'll get a protest that sort of um, uh, weakens uh, the effort. And I'm thinking of uh, the Million Man March as an example mm-hmm. where there was a, you know, a big push for things that big parts of the population would agree with. But there are also approaches that alienated some parts, it's sort of sometimes alienating your own allies in a way. Right. And so or, or, or doing something that's counter to the um, – the success of the movement or it distracts people from um, mm-hmm. the, the larger cause. So I think um, there'll be examples of that kind of thing where there's sort of an ineffective protest that actually sets back right. the, um, the goals, the larger goals. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the features, you know, not features, I guess, is characteristics of protest uh, that a lot of people seem to I mean one of the reasons that the word protest has this sort of more negative valence as mm-hmm. as you were talking about Tom rather than something like witnessing which tends to be a much more grounded in Hebrew tradition and and therefore somehow more acceptable uh, gentler kinder kind of protesting but protest tends to have this sort of negative valence I think mm-hmm. in part because it's messy mm-hmm. it tends to be messy um it's loud Mm-hmm. It's crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally messy. People are throwing things mm-hmm. around. It can be messy because there's a lot of noise. You know, there's a lot of cacophonous noise, people yelling mm-hmm. at other people and mm-hmm. back and forth. And there's a person um, in political rhetoric named Bob Ivey who writes a lot about what's called demophobia or the fear of the people. And that the United States founding documents reveal a real homage to Rome and Greece, except that they took, the founders of this country took the messiness of those systems as a bug Mm. rather than a feature. Mm. And that Ivy's arguing that messiness is in fact good and necessary Mm. because it shows Mm. that the system is working. Mm. So I don't know, what do you think about messiness or that sort of, why is protesting such a tough word for people or a tough thing to get behind. There are a lot of people who will do a lot of things in activism, but they don't want to. That's right. Yeah. It's not always messy. I mean, sometimes you have very, very peaceful. Kinds no, that's of things true. That can be very. You think about the people who are putting the flowers in the, in sure. the rifles. Uh, During uh, Vietnam. Yes. Yeah. That sort of thing. Or people, um, maybe some of Gandhi's protests where people just sit down <laughs> and there's a, you know, uh, so there are ways that there you can have sort of quiet protests that sure. aren't so messy. Um, sure. Oh, and there's certain kind of a dignity that comes from certain kinds of protests. So there's a whole range of uh, from the messiest possible thing all the way to something quiet and dignified. Um, um and some will work well in some cases and others won't. So trying to be effective in being an advocate or an activist, I think, is an important thing to think of. So, mm-hmm. yeah. When I think of protest and I think of some of the messiness of it, I think that protests are always telling a counter story. 
And so yeah. they're telling the story of the opposite of what we believe as truth. And mm-hmm. so Black Lives Matter, the counter is, well, all lives matter. No, that's why I'm protesting. And um, civil rights, I'm protesting to counter that um, I am less than equal. So it's, I think people get uncomfortable that you are introducing a counter narrative, um, a counter truth um, to what we know as real, big we know as real, and that makes us uncomfortable and that makes us fearful. We were in our Lutheran Higher Education seminar today and someone mentioned that, you know, people use fear and anxiety to manipulate. And so I'm able to manipulate you to say that this protest is wrong or this is violent or this is messy be, and I'm building on the fear of this counter narrative that somebody is, sure. is telling. And so that's why I think that regardless, well, not regardless, but most protests, the protests that we really think about around civil rights and equal rights are seen as messy is because they're telling somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that because I teach um, one of the things I teach is on Occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And I have students now who are a little bit out of the age group yeah. that would have necessarily been paying attention during Occupy Wall Street. But the reverberations of that are still felt, right? And that the story is not anti-capitalism, but it is one that challenges a sort of late capitalism, mm-hmm. hegemonic construction of how this is how democracy works, which is problematic in a number of ways, right? But that it was terrifying to people to have mm-hmm. these people, mm-hmm. many of whom had PhDs and things sitting right. out in the street and mm-hmm. saying, this is, you know, it's about student debt. It's about all of these kinds of things that mm-hmm. we don't want to talk about. That There are a lot of people who don't want to talk about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because, and we've seen in the last, well, forever, but certainly in short order, even today at Western Washington University or in the last week at the University of Kansas Mm -hmm. or in the last several weeks at the University of Missouri, that college and university campuses have long been sites of protests, social, Mm -hmm. political, cultural kinds of protests. Um, Do you think protest is understood differently on a college campus than it is sort of in other parts of our society? Is there a reason that colleges and universities tend to be sites of that kind of activism, that that tactic? I think we do view um, student protests a little bit differently. I think sometimes we question whether or not we should take students seriously, to be honest, whether mm. they know exactly what they're protesting and do they know the roots of what they're protesting. So... Um, if a student is telling me, well, I want to protest because there's not enough advertising of events on campus. No. What is the root of that? Is it um, a financial question? Is it a resource question? Mm -hmm. Is it something else that is really the cause of your frustration? And I don't think we give students enough credit sometimes to think about the root, but we also sometimes don't encourage them to think about the root Mm -hmm. or give them credit enough to think about the root. And so their history is sort of truncated. It, it is. Yeah, it is. And so I think sometimes we, we don't take them seriously because we think they don't know, but they they know so much and they mobilize so quickly um, that we have to start paying attention when they when they speak up. Like yeah. That. When they move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also a, a, it's generally fairly youthful population. It's a population that is exploring Um, many important issues in a way that the regular population working don't have the opportunity to think about. So um, it's it's sort of a uh, typically a time of life when you're 
um, you're asking questions about the way things are. And so if they aren't the way that, uh, that you expect them to be, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit easier, I think, to organize and to protest and that sort of a, there's a culture of expectation that students will. And for many, many centuries, mm-hmm. uh, university students have been the leading um, protesters uh, yeah. for all sorts of reasons and causes and issues. Yeah. Are we just more open to that here? I mean, on college campuses, I don't necessarily mean here, well, but on, yeah. on college and university yes. campuses, yeah. are we just more mm-hmm. tolerant of protest? Mm-hmm. I would say we are more tolerant of it. And it's also a group of people living together. It's a large group. You know, it's just sort of the social environment. Um, Many things about it Mm -hmm. um, uh, make it just more amenable to protest. I think it's reasonable for uh, students to expect more out of their environment and to to stand up for something because they're busy thinking about big, important things, big issues, why they – the big enough questions that we we ask students to think of. And Mm -hmm. so um, I think when when the world is at odds with our expectations um, and we're in an environment where we're regularly asking those questions, we're more inclined to protest and to say this isn't okay. We want it to be different. Right. Right. I think you, as we can say this as big institution, but we mm-hmm. definitely can't say that, you know, for all students, of course, because mm-hmm. no, um, of course not. Right. Walking um, as we were standing in line with the students in solidarity on Friday, there were folks who were walking by us who were like, what in the so and so are these folks doing? And so I think we think that all students are open to protest and thinking about these issues because we're an institution of higher learning. However, we have to also recognize that there are other students who this is not where they are. This is not right. what they want to do. This is not what they think want to think about. These are not their issue, quote unquote. Um, and so we have we as institutions hold both and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think in part, right, I mean, it's it's nice in some ways to shelter yourself mm-hmm. from those things, too. And even if you're sort of in. Uh, attitudinal solidarity with people it is you know it it is kind of scary to walk by that sometimes Mm -hmm. I mean there are people who are really legitimately freaked out by that kind of thing Mm Is there a difference then between, for instance, students protesting on campus and, let's say, faculty or staff Mm -hmm. protesting on campus? Do we have the same attitude about that, the same level of tolerance, right? Because protest for students is almost pedagogical. Mm -hmm. We're going to it's a teaching thing like we're we're going to support your active engagement in your learning about the world. What do we think about faculty or staff doing that same thing? Mm-hmm. I suppose it depends on what the subject is. <laughs> um, yeah. So it would be odd if, if um, I joined a protest over something I did <laughs> as president. You know, so it would be sort of like, well, you're the one. It would be interesting. It would be so novel, yeah. Yeah. in fact, yeah. that it, maybe it would work. <laughs> would I convince myself? Let's you try. Convince yeah, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So I, right. So I it depends that. on what the <laughs> So it depends on the on the issue, I suppose, whether. So, yeah. Well, I mean sort of recently and I, maybe this yeah. is I don't know. 
this is an example that I've used in class before, but when this campus went tobacco free, mm -hmm. uh, there yeah. were a lot of people who were pretty angry about that. And faculty assembly one night literally became like an hour long sort of why can't we have mm -hmm. tobacco products on this campus and now we're going to go smoke on our neighbor's lawns and how is that any better than, you know, are we going to ask people to leave their dorm at midnight and go out in the cold and dark and do this? Um, you know, and I just, I don't know, I just think it's, it, there's something a little bit different about faculty or even staff and I think faculty and staff probably have different abilities to mobilize mm. too. Mm -hmm. I mean, tenured faculty are a different deal. That's right. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And I think about as one of a handful of people of color on campus, mm -hmm. um, one of a couple black women, where, where can I be safe to protest? What cause can I say that I, who do not have tenure, can I be safe? And is my but is my safety worth it? Like, is my fear worth it? And in most cases here, it, it has been and it probably will be. But that's something that I continuously have to think about when I'm engaging in these things that I'm one of a few mm -hmm. and I stand out. I mean, you can't help but see me when I guess I'm visible, invisible. But it's the badass hair. It's yeah, the yeah. crooked hair. <laughs> crooked hair. <laughs> crooked hair. <Yeah. laughs> So I'm visible, invisible. Yeah. So uh -huh. you see me. And so is this something that I want you to see me at? And is something that I'm going to be safe to be seen at? That yeah. is constantly in the back of my mind when I think about these things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another issue for uh, faculty and staff and administrators is um, I'm often telling students that they have a certain power that they're probably not aware of. And yes. there are certain things that, yeah. that faculty and administrators and staff would like to see happen that in, in our various roles, it's hard to make happen, and students are often not aware of how much they can make a difference there. So an example would be my speaking with the um, Student Athletic Advisory Committee, and so they were talking mm. about challenges of being a professional student and an athlete and the problem of, of scheduling that. And then another related question was <clears throat> um, uh, being able to compete in championships and so on uh, and, and get permission to be out of class. And so mm -hmm. tensions between uh, faculty and student athletes on this score. Right. And so I said to this group, there's 40 people in the room, I said, you have a certain power that, that even I don't have. So, uh, you know, I could try, but you would be better off if you made a case for this and thought mm -hmm. of a strategy to address this. And so um, part, I told them that part of the issue would be to make a distinction between between the kind of I just don't want to go to class or I want to have a long weekend or something <laughs> like that. Which is sort of how that gets and, read yeah, right, by yeah, faculty. Right. And yeah. I said to them, I said, often, you know, we faculty are getting excuses that we don't actually believe. And right. so you're going to have to make it perfectly clear that there's a big difference between representing the university at a significant event of some kind right. and just not wanting to go to class on a Monday morning. Um, and so, um, but there is a certain power that students have that faculty and staff might not be able to marshal. And mm -hmm. so um, so there can be some relationship there where you're, you're saying to students, think of a way to make a case for yourself or for this issue. And, you know, and you could ally yourself with them right. or advise them in, in a certain way. So, yeah. so protest is almost a coalitional politic. Could be, yeah, right. depending on the... But have either of you seen a faculty staff 
either together or separate protests that originated in the faculty or staff? And what did that look like? I have only heard Mm -hmm. of this. The example that I'm thinking of, I was not here for. But this was back when PLU decided to bring ROTC to Mm -hmm. campus. Uh And it was Uh also in the era of Mm -hmm. uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And there were a number of members of the faculty who were very adamantly against having um, sort of giving legitimacy and shelter mm-hmm. to this notion of um, of of closeting yourself sure. in your professional or personal life mm-hmm. um, just to keep your job. So uh, I do know that 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 was a faculty and staff led mm-hmm. um, protest, although it was it was ultimately not sure. successful. I mean, we brought ROTC to campus and I, you know, I, I was not here, so I don't really know mm-hmm. what the rationale for that was, but I'm guessing proximity to military communities, money, other kinds of things that come with having ROTC. But it definitely, there were, there are still people who remember that mm-hmm. and carry a lot of, I don't know, baggage is not the word because that makes mm-hmm. it sound like they shouldn't feel angry about it. But but there was that. And it was almost like, I don't know that my, you know, I don't know that my voices are being, my voice is being heard. And I don't know if it was the timing mm-hmm. of it. You know, it was a different era. Mm-hmm. This was yeah. 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. But it was a vote of the faculty. It was a vote. So yeah. in yeah. a democracy, when we don't get our way, it doesn't mean that democracy has right. failed. It just no. means that more people thought the other way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I ask that because I, I wonder sometimes if students really see faculty and staff as allies and advocates in protest and mm. struggle because they don't necessarily see they don't see us as they see us as part of the system sometimes. Yeah. And that either we're so entrenched in it, we don't see what they see or what they feel or what they experience or we're just going along because we work here. And so they don't see us as natural allies. And so mm-hmm. with your um, time, what you're talking about with student athletes, there are faculty and staff who definitely would have their back and definitely mm-hmm. would That's stand true. on the line with them or mm-hmm. whatever their activism around that topic looks like, but they don't naturally go to us. And so I'm just I just wonder a little bit about why where we lost like that edge mm-hmm. to them, why they don't mm-hmm. see us, um, some of us as just natural folks who would be on a line with them. I don't know. Here's my shot at it. I think part of it is that this is a job that where you sit in your head Uh and there is a disconnect in some ways between what happens up here and what you're doing with your and no one can see me because I'm on the radio. What you're doing with your body. I'm pointing to my body right now. It makes me wonder if because they see you as sort of Mm. up here in your head, not as someone who would put your body into situations where there would be protest. Mm -hmm. So I actually, in my classes, I talk to my students about my own protest. Not as a way to sort of say, let's all do this or Mm -hmm. something, but just as a- Or you're cool. Yeah, but just as a way, (laughs) yeah, I'm trying to earn cultural capital. Uh, But just as a way to to say that there are people who are doing this. I mean, I think part of it too is that we're, we're all a little skittish about being very out with our political commitments in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And there are reasons for that. Well, it is natural that the students should think of faculty and staff as, and administrators as part of the system because we are part of it. Sure. this yeah. system. So, the yeah, man. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you are literally yeah, the man, yeah. Tom. 
That is um. true. <laughs> <laughs> so if, uh, what role do we play, let's say, universities um, like this one or others in terms of inquiry and leadership and fostering an environment that allows for protest? You know, because I think it's it's easier and safer a lot of times to sort of quash that before it starts. And it's mm-hmm. mean, means less bad press or <laughs> less press or uh, less hard feelings or something. But is that something that we should be fostering? And then how how mm-hmm. I think making sure people have the right story is helpful. So every now and then you see a protest where they don't have the full information. Sure. And so you sort of lament that there's this kind of misdirection. Right. So I think that's that's part of it to make sure that we do it not not lightly, but with um, thoughtful inquiry, we could mm-hmm. say, <laughs> being right, you know, being sure that we, we have the position correct and that we're targeting the protest or the anger or the disquiet in the right direction to achieve right. the end, whatever the right. end is that's desired. Yeah, I go to the, the, the last one in the, the mission statement to care and thinking mm-hmm. about how do we actualize a community of care? Mm-hmm. Um, that's who I want us to be. And so if protest is a tactic of actualizing that community, then I think it's appropriate. Of course, you know, Tom, as you were saying, with the right information and the right you know data, whatever you need, I think that's fine. Also, only students know their experiences and their experiences are their truth and are their reality. And so mm-hmm. I think encouraging students to be able to tell those stories and share those experiences in multiple ways. So if a protest is one of those ways, that's fine. But I think once we think about quashing something before we get to our protest is, is a way to silence a group of people who have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we are who we say we are, and I, and I think we are, we are a community care, and that's what we strive for. Part of that story, part of those stories that you were talking about, is sometimes can come in the form of a protest. Mm-hmm. And that is the last word on the word. So I want to thank Angie Hambrick and Tom Kreis for being here with me and talking about protest and Saturday Night Live and all kinds of other things. I'll never get Chippendales out of my head now. Thank yeah. you. You are so <laughs> welcome. Or Gold LeMay. Gold LeMay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. And that's all I had to say about that. I learned something today. We're all officially kicked out of school. See you around. Yeah, see you.